All right, let me first start with an invitation to turn off your text messages or your social media and open your Bibles to the New Testament. Luke chapter 12 is where our main text will be today. Luke chapter 12. We are in a series. We took the break last week because I was home with COVID, but we are in a series going through the middle section in the Gospel of Luke. It's known as the Journey to Jerusalem section, and today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 12. Uh, So my family, we love Halloween, or at least I love Halloween, and maybe they play along, but my kids love, you know, their costumes each year during Halloween. They love going trick-or-treating, and we live in a pretty good neighborhood, so when we go trick-or-treating, we can just walk around the neighborhood, make our rounds, but what my kids really love the most is they love passing out candy. So we'll make our rounds, and then we'll come back with a bowl full of candy, and we'll see all the other kids in their costumes as they walk by. This past Halloween, we had made our rounds. We were passing out candy, and as it was getting dark, and, you know, the the crowd was was really pretty big at this point, uh, we remembered that my neighbor down the road, who's kind of off the regular path, he had requested that we come by and see him, take the kids trick-or-treating over there, So I remembered this, and I said, hey, let's leave real quick. We'll run to his house, we'll see him for a minute, and then we'll come back. So we put the bowl of candy on the front porch, and we had the idea to leave the light on so that when anybody that would come trick-or-treating while we were gone, they would see the light on, notice we're not home, see the bowl, and hopefully, respectfully, just take a piece of candy or two and move on. So we left, left the bowl there, went down the road, saw my neighbor, He talked to us quite a bit, kind of showed us around, so we were gone a little bit longer than we were planning on, and when we got back, guess what happened to that bowl of candy? There was hardly anything left, and I was like, we're only gone for 20 minutes or so, where where did all the candy go? There was a lot of people trick-or-treating, but not that many. Well, that's when we remembered that we had recently installed a camera on our front porch, so you can go back through the app and you can look and see... And we watched as five or six little trick-or-treaters came by in their costumes. You can see them. They ring the doorbell. We're not home. Wait a few seconds. See the bowl of candy. They kind of whisper to each other. They, they grab a piece of candy or two, and they move on. Most of them grabbed a modest amount until this little girl who was dressed in a little princess outfit <laughs> walks up by herself, rings our doorbell, does this, kind of looks around, looks behind her, and reaches down with the biggest handful of candy you could imagine, throws it into her sack, and runs off. Well, the camera's still rolling for a few seconds after that, and then all of a sudden she comes back into the line of the footage, grabs another handful and another handful, until finally you can hear her parents off in the distance yell for her to come on. And we were looking at this, and we're like, that is where the candy went, right? She got greedy. And maybe we all have a little bit of greed in us when it comes to Halloween, but... What she did was she took more than she needed. She took more than she needed without considering anybody else. And the text that we're looking at today, Jesus is really going to hammer this idea, and he's going to highlight this idea of greed. The best definition of greed that I could find uh, comes from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it goes like this. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. 
A selfish and excessive desire for more of something that is needed, and in parentheses, in parentheses you see such as money. So it could be money or it could be something else. A selfish or excessive desire to take more of something than you actually need. And what we're about to read from Luke chapter 12 is I think Jesus shows us that greed has this sneaky and subtle nature to it. We may not all think of ourselves as greedy people, but I think what Jesus highlights is greed is like a poison that we may be drinking. We're just not aware of it. So let's read through Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. I'm reading from a New Revised Standard Version. What's up on the screen will look a little different. You can follow along in your own copy. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Which, by the way, this teaching here is unique to Luke's Gospel only. That's what we're using as a guide for this sermon series. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And then what follows is Jesus is going to give two principles in verse 15 and verse 21, and in between He's going to tell a parable. Here's principle number one. He said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then we get principle number two. So these principles bracket this parable that he tells. Verse 21, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Alright, when I read a text like this, when I prepare a sermon, or I'm just doing a devotional reading, uh, something that we're doing on these Wednesday night classes with our roundtable biblical discussions is, I want you to, and I want myself to do this, is just be honest about what you're reading. What questions do you have? And my initial honest reading of this text is I have two questions. One is, the guy in verse 13 who comes up to Jesus and wants his share of the inheritance, what's so wrong with that request? Where's the evil in that request? Why does Jesus seem to take issue with this guy's request? And then my second question is, in the parable that Jesus tells of the, what we call the rich fool, that's what it's become known as, what does the rich fool do that's so wrong? He has an abundance, a surplus, and he stores it away so that he can take it easy and live the good life. What's wrong with that? For us, isn't that the American dream? So what's so wrong? Why does Jesus take issue with the initial guy that comes to him, and why, what's the problem with the rich fool in the parable? Let's take a closer look at it. First of all, in verse 13, this guy that comes up to him with this request, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, it may help to understand a little bit about the laws of the time and inheritance. The biblical law, the law of Moses, taught that the older brother was supposed to receive the larger portion of the inheritance. And the cultural laws of the time, 
As the inheritance, once the father died, the inheritance could not be divided until the older brother was ready and said, now it's time to divide the inheritance. So that leads us to believe that in verse 13, the guy that comes up to Jesus is the younger brother. It's probably the younger brother saying, Tell him, you know, referee for us. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Basically, this younger brother is at the mercy of his older brother, his mean older brother. And inheritance issues, it's not just a first century problem, it's, it's also a 21st century problem. I don't know if you've experienced this firsthand, or maybe you've, you've heard of examples like I have, but you hear of families where somebody passes away and maybe there's a time of grieving and then there's a time of okay what does the will say who gets what and people get a little antsy and maybe people get a little greedy but Jesus is tapping into something here that's not just a first century problem but it's also a 21st century problem so what's wrong with the younger brother's request he just wants his share of the inheritance there's an author named Kenneth Bailey that I, I mentioned a few weeks ago I've been reading his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And one of the things that he points out is it's what the younger brother doesn't say. The younger brother doesn't say to Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, can you please help my family? We are on the verge of just completely breaking up, of our family falling apart over these inheritance issues. Can you help us reconcile and just kind of make things right. That's not what he requests. Maybe that would be the proper attitude. Instead, the younger brother basically is saying, tell him to give me my piece of the pie. I want what's mine. I want my money. Or I want my land, whatever the inheritance is. So according to Jesus, maybe the problem with this guy's approach is greed. What about the rich fool, this parable that Jesus tells? What's so wrong with what this rich fool does? I mean, really, he's just wanting to live the American dream. Well, if you look back through this parable that Jesus tells in verse 16 through 20, the first problem with the rich fool is he only considers himself. If you notice, he dialogues with himself. We all do that in a way. Maybe we do that subconsciously and we don't even realize it, but this guy is dialoguing with himself and it's all about me. My grains, my goods, my barns. You see a lot of me and my in there. He's only thinking about himself. He only considers himself and he doesn't consider God. Nowhere in this man's dialogue does he think, I am so thankful that God has given me this body and the strength and the ability to work. I'm thankful that God has given me the ability to have workers to help work the land. I'm thankful that God allowed me to grow up in a family that taught me how to do this and probably inherited some of it on his, from his own family of origin. Never once does he thank God for giving him this ability. You know, heard the old saying, maybe you've heard this before, that somebody's born on second base but they think they hit a double. Have you ever heard that before? Or maybe they're born on third base, but they think they hit a triple. We have a tendency to be self-absorbed. We have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And maybe this guy's born on second base, and in his mind, he thinks he's so great he hit a double. He doesn't go back to think it's God who gave him the ability to do anything. So he only considers himself. He doesn't consider God, and he doesn't consider how he might help others. In his self-dialogue, he doesn't go back and say, you know what, the Lord has really blessed me. 
how can I be a blessing to others? That's not his thought process. I've titled this sermon series, Outsiders. Because I've told you in this middle section in Luke, a lot of these teachings are unique, unique to Luke's Gospel only, but it really shows that Jesus has a special concern for outsiders, for Gentiles, for women, for children, for lepers, you name it, but especially for those who are poor, for those who are often overlooked. Jesus really cares about outsiders. And this guy, not once does it cross his mind. How can I be a blessing to others? So he doesn't consider God. He doesn't consider how he can help others. He only considers himself, and he does not consider his own mortality. You see, his idea in the parable is to build bigger barns so he can store more stuff. Well, that doesn't really seem like there's anything wrong in that. Isn't that what Joseph did back in Genesis chapter 41? Well, Joseph did that so that he could help others when there was a famine. This guy does it because he wants to relax, eat, drink, and be merry, and just enjoy the good life. But what he doesn't consider is that he may not be around to enjoy it. And Jesus tells him the twist in the parable in verse 20 is this very night your life will be demanded of you and then who's going to get all this stuff that you stored for yourself? He doesn't consider the fact that life is alone from God and we're never promised tomorrow. And he's all focused on storing up for himself so that he can enjoy the good life but doesn't think about how it could end tonight. It could end tomorrow. So my two questions when I read uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21 is... What's wrong with the guy asking for his inheritance? What's wrong with the rich fool wanting to take it easy and enjoy the good life? Well, according to Jesus, it seems like what's wrong with that is greed. That there is greed in their hearts. Remember, we define greed as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something that is needed. And in verse 15, in the first principle that Jesus gives, He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. However, most of us probably would not consider ourselves greedy. Or maybe we would think, that's not something that I struggle with. This is a picture of a pretty well-known Christian author and preacher named Timothy Keller. Now, many years ago, Timothy Keller was speaking at a, a series of men's breakfasts. So, seven-part series, men's breakfast. He was the keynote speaker week after week. And his topic was the seven deadly sins. The first three weeks, he talked about wrath, he talked about lust, and he talked about pride, and he had a packed house. The men showed up on those days. And he was pretty excited. We love a packed house, the feeling of a sellout crowd. But one day, his wife said to him, you know what? I bet on the day that you talk about greed as one of these seven deadly sins... She predicted, I bet that will be your lowest attended breakfast. Turns out she was right. The day that he talked about greed, very few men showed up that day. Which based on his wife's prediction and based on his experience there, that led him to believe that most people think that they don't struggle with greed. And then Timothy Keller went on to say, greed hides itself from the victim. That's what I meant by greed being sneaky and subtle. Greed usually involves blindness to your own heart, according to Timothy Keller. So we may have some greedy tendencies, and we just may not even realize it. 
Jesus warns us in verse 15, be, all, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. This is the principle, or really it's more like a warning. Be on your guard. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But if Jesus, the greatest teacher who ever lived, our teacher, our rabbi, the reason we're here, if he tells us and warns us to be on our guard against all kinds of greed, well, maybe we should take that serious. Maybe we should consider examining the greed that could be in our own hearts. Now, you might recognize the actor in this picture. Her name is Lori Laughlin, but uh, I know her as Aunt Becky from Full House, and I'm assuming that's how most of you know her. But you might also know her because in the news over the last few years, uh, she has received some pretty bad press because her and her husband were involved in what's called a college admissions scandal. They desperately wanted their daughters to get into the University of Southern California. And so in order to get them in and, and to make sure that they were admitted to the school, they cheated and they lied. They tried to portray their daughters as elite athletes. They paid over $500,000 under the table secretly to get them in. But guess what? They got caught, as that often happens. And not only were they punished for it, but, you know, incredibly embarrassed because the whole world knows about it. And on the day that they were sentenced for their crime, they were only sentenced to a few months in prison, but they were also sentenced to heavy fines and community service and all this stuff. Well, the day that they were sentenced, the judge, I guess he decided to make an example out of them. And this is what the judge said to them as he was sentencing them. And I want to read it to make sure I get it right. He said, here you are, an admired successful professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in Southern California, a fairy tale life. Yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? He said, for the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. It's a pretty harsh words from the judge. And I think what he's pointing out is you had everything. That's the American dream. Like, you have everything you could possibly need, and yet you stand before me a convicted felon. Why? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. And that's what greed can do. I'm sure they did not start off thinking, how, what could we do to cheat? How can we be greedy? It just kind of slowly, subtly seeped into their heart. And that's what greed can do. It can make way to other sins. Because of this obsession with wanting more. Some psychologists call this the if-then perspective. And they say that in our minds, and our brains, we have uh, an odd way of mispredicting what we think will make us happy. And in our minds, we have if-then thinking. We think, if I just had this, then I would really be happy. If I just had a new car if I just got into this college or if I just got that job, if I just had that salary, then we would be set, then we would be happy. But these psychologists say that we, in our brains, have a tendency to move the goalpost. So once we receive that or gain that, whatever it is, well, then we move the goalpost and we need something else. We need more and more and more, if then. If I just had this, then I would be happy but what Jesus is teaching, especially in that second principle in this text we're looking at today, is 
Not storing up treasures for yourself, but being rich towards God. So if you're rich towards God, then you will really have what you actually need. So he warns us, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, there's a guy named Chuck Bentley who wrote a book called The Root of Riches. And in this book, he shares a story about his good friend's dad. He said that when they were younger, they lived modestly. His dad had a job, you know, worked hard, but was free on the weekends and free in the evenings. And uh, they took their little, the little bit that they had, and they bought a lot right by the lake. And on that lot, they put a little mobile home, and they built a deck around it. And when the kids were little, that's where they spent most of their nights and weekends, together as a family, playing in the water, watching the sunset on that deck. But Chuck Bentley's friend goes on to explain that as they grew older, the dad worked his way up. He was working his way up that corporate ladder, and he was making more and more money. He was successful. He was becoming well-known, but he had to sacrifice time with his family, so he wasn't around on the nights as much or on the weekends as often. And the family eventually started to grow apart, and all kinds of problems came from that. As they prospered financially, they suffered relationally, but the dad eventually made it to the mountaintop, so to speak. He became the head of his company, and their company acquired another company, and the dad made it to the cover of the Wall Street Journal. He made it to the mountaintop. But unfortunately, he didn't get to stick around for very long to enjoy it. Because not long after that, a doctor diagnosed him with a deadly disease and only gave him a few months left to live. So right before he died, his dad said to his children, he said, I was the happiest when sitting on the deck outside of the trailer watching the sunset on the lake. And then he said, I never needed anything more than that. As he's sitting on his deathbed and he's reflecting back over his life, he's taking his success, all the money he made, all the fame that he achieved, and he thought, you know what? I never needed any of that. I was completely content with what we had when we were younger and had to live modestly. But what greed can do is it drives us to think that we need more and more, and it causes us to lose sight or lose perspective of what's most important. As greed has a way, Jesus warns, I believe, of seeping into our own hearts, and then it seeps into our marriage and our family and in all aspects of life. And if we're not careful, it can destroy. So what Jesus warns us against is be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And one of the areas that greed can really affect us it, uh, you know, everything I've already mentioned, plus our giving. You know, as Christians, we are called to be generous people, but what greed does is it causes us to hold back a little bit and not trust God with that. So our scripture reading earlier came from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and that's the last passage I want to read today. Is I want to go back to that and just kind of keep in mind what we just read from Luke 12, and I'll wrap it up with this. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 7 through 12, or 7 through 10, Paul says, For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. You've heard teachings like this before. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. That sounds like a lesson the rich fool didn't really learn. In verse 8 through 10, he says, But if we have food and clothing, we 
we'll be content with that. Jesus tells us not to worry about anything beyond that. Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Sounds just like the dad in the story I told you about. Skip down 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Paul, writing to this young Timothy, kind of gives him the antidote to greed. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. But don't put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. We live in a land of abundance. This is the wealthiest nation there's ever been in this world. So I guess we could all fall into this category of what Paul's mentioning here. And he says, here's what you do. Be good. Do good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What he writes in verse 19 sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 21. Laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven or being rich towards God instead of laying up treasures for yourself. So the rich fool, the problem with the rich fool in this parable It's not just greed, but what greed does to him, it causes him to be so self-absorbed that he does not one time think how he can bless and help others. And I guess in conclusion, I think about theologically the story of the cross, the story of Jesus. The section in Luke that we're looking at It's called the on the way, the journey to Jerusalem section. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, He sets His face to go to Jerusalem. He's going towards the cross. He's willingly going to His death. Which is a reminder that the God that we serve is not greedy. Jesus never asks us to do anything that He's not willing to do Himself. And Jesus was the exact opposite of greedy. Jesus was what Paul says that we should be as generous and willing to share. And on His way to the cross, even though His disciples and many others didn't understand it at the time, He was on His way to make this greatest sacrifice. We just celebrated it in communion. That with all of our sins and what we can't do, what the religious leaders could not do for us, Jesus does. He takes all of our sins on Himself as He takes that to the cross. The exact opposite of being greedy, of being completely generous. So this morning, if you have never considered being baptized into Christ, if you've never considered what your relationship with God is like or considered eternity, maybe you need to consider this God who is the complete opposite of greedy, who is so incredibly generous. If you want to talk to us about that, or if you're ready to be baptized, come talk to us here in just a minute. But let me also say this. If you are struggling with any kind of greed in your heart, if there's something from the text, then maybe God's starting to stir something within you. You you don't have to come forward. You can come up front. But we do have some elders who are here, and they're available to you. 
And part of your response could be to go talk to somebody privately and to pray and confess or whatever that would look like. So we want you to know that this invitation is kind of open-ended. You can come up front and we welcome you. We would love you. We will not judge you. But you could also go privately and find one of our elders. But regardless, we set aside this time to sing a few more songs. And if you need to respond to this invitation, please do so. I invite you to stand. We'll continue to sing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And